The following message is brought to you by the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church. This message by Pastor Matt Shia was recorded during our regular morning worship service. Pastor Matt is the senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. While Pastor Matt's away on vacation, it's a joy to have our youth pastor, Shane DeLisi, and our children's pastor, Nathan Ream, share with us from the Word of God about God's direction for our youth here at RBC. Let's join them now as they share the Word of God with us. All right, this Sunday is a Student Emphasis Sunday. So Pastor Shane and I are going to talk about what the Lord's been laying on our hearts and what... uh, what direction we want to go in and uh, what we see in our own personal lives, what we see in your lives and in the world and churches throughout the world and, and stuff like that. So i try not to say that. All right, quick little game real quick. Okay, what do you think all these people have in common? Who's that right there? Tom Cruise, right? He's got magical powers and all that stuff. Okay, who's that? That's K.P. Yohannan right there. He's the head of a huge missionary Organization Gospel for Asia. Who's that? Pastor Matt. Who's that? George W. Right. Who's that? Jennifer, Anna, movie star. Right. Who's that? <laughs> Miss Linda. Right. <laughs> That's horrible. Okay. Who's that? Joe the plumber. Remember that guy. And then our new president right there. What do all these people have in common? They're humans. Well, K.P. O'Hannon, he's not really American. He was born in India. What do they all have in common? They used to be children. Yes, thank you. They used to be children. That's what I was looking for, okay? I was reading this great book this summer. We, Noel Trout and I got to go to uh, Commander's College at Biola. It's a training thing for the Iwana program. And uh, Larry Fowler, I don't know if you've heard of him, he, he has a great book called Rock Solid Kids. And he's one of the big head honchos over there at Iwana. And I was reading through his book and these four points of how people look at children, how we look at children, how churches look at children in general. So I want to go over these four points real quick. Okay, our first point, children are a bother, right? Quiet, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell you. I don't, I don't want to clean up after you, right? That's how a lot of people look at kids. Not a lot of people, but some people. Bah humbug, get out of my yard, you know, all that. So the church we went to in uh, North Carolina, before they hired me, it was 25 years before they had a youth pastor. They really didn't care about the kids. Kids were a bother to them. So a church at this viewpoint puts all its resources towards adult ministries, and kids get the leftovers, okay? So if you guys ever have to leave RBC for any reason, like you're moving away, when you go to a new church, make sure this is not their viewpoint on children, okay? I'm sure you're looking for that. All right, a home with this viewpoint will use a TV and video games as the primary tool to keep kids occupied so you don't have to deal with them, right? We've all seen this scenario. Here, shh, I don't want to talk to you, you know? Go in the other room, I don't want to see you. You know, we all do it, but this is the primary tool. Gina straps them to the chair sometimes. The boys and, you know, shh, are you going to go meet Jesus today? So... <laughs> Sorry, I won't say that next time. Okay, this view is wrong, right? Children are not the priority with this viewpoint, in our own personal lives or at a church setting. Children, uh, number two, children are a tool. We can use the kids to reach the parents to get them into church. A lot of churches have this viewpoint. Um, you know, what can we do? How can we get the parents in here by using the kids? 
So success is measured by how many adults are coming because of children's ministry. That's how they measure if they, how much money they throw towards the budget, towards children's ministry and all that. So, And at home, it looks like uh, with parents who use their kids as tools, uh, might uh, use the kids to fulfill their own sports dreams through their kids, or a divorced mom may manipulate the activities or emotions uh, of a child to get even with her ex-husband or ex-wife, interchangeable there, you know. I had split parents, and I'd go off with my dad, and he'd say, what's your mother saying, you know? Well, tell her this, and I'd go home, and what'd your father say, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they used their kids like that as tools to get back at their spouse, right? Um, Church growth is the priority here, so... Number three, children are the future, right? We've heard this one. Tom was singing the song this morning when he saw my slides. So, I mean, this is, this is not a bad viewpoint. We understand that if uh, our children are not brought up in the Lord, Christianity will be forgotten. You know, we always hear this phrase right here, the church is only one generation away from going extinct. We don't teach our kids. Moses taught this all throughout Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4.9, only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you... Forget the things your eyes have seen, and least you depart from your hearts all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. If we don't teach the things of the Lord to our kids, it's going to be forgotten, right? So, I mean, this is not a bad viewpoint. When this view is present, there is an appreciation for children's ministry. There's a good budget. Facilities and curricula are a priority, okay? I think we have this at RBC, you know, we think that kids are priority. We build facilities for them. We spend lots and lots of money on curriculum. We, you know, build the children's ministry. This view is essential and true, but is also inadequate because it still sees children as a tool to accomplish another another end. And what's that other end right there? To keep Christianity going, you know, to keep the church alive and that, which is, you know, all right, everyone close your eyes. I want you to picture a large group of people. Okay? Look at their faces. Okay, you can open your eyes. How many of you guys saw only adults? You saw a big, large group of adults. How many of you guys saw uh, adults and kids? Good. How many of you guys just saw kids? Stan. (laughs) The teacher. Awesome. Most of us, when we think of people, we think of adults, right? That brings us to our next point here. Children are people. This is Jesus' view, okay? In Mark 10, 13-14, and they um, were bringing children to him so that he might touch them or bless them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the little children, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What viewpoint did the disciples have there? The first one, right? They're a bother. Leave Jesus alone. He's an important guy. Stop it, you know, he'll see you maybe later. You know, wait out back or something. So, and then Jesus didn't like that, so he was indignant. And I went to a big thing on that word. I mean, he was really upset. Permit the little children to come to me. Jesus sees children as valuable people now, not valuable people in the future. We always raise our kids, hey, when you get older, you're going to do this. And, you know, maybe after college, this. Or maybe after high school, you can accomplish something, right? But if we look at Samuel, Samuel was brought to the temple just after he was weaned. He grew up serving the Lord, and at a very early age, he came to this, right? Speak, for your servant listens, Lord. Speak, for your your servant is listening. So even at a young age, Samuel was taught to, to serve the Lord, and he was useful to the Lord at a very young age. We don't have to wait till our kids get older before they start serving the Lord. And, and, and it's awesome to see this last Sunday, OGN, 
some of the little kids, Operation Good News, were going out and they were knocking on the door and they were doing the introduction and starting it, even as little, little guys. So they're valuable now. We can't keep looking at them as the future. Uh, a church with this viewpoint puts children's ministry on equal ground. I think RBC does an awesome job of that. At home, spiritual training is the main priority. Not sports, not Boy Scouts, not Girl Scouts, not homework, not anything. Spiritual training is the most important thing with uh, this viewpoint. So all those things are important, but spiritual training is the most important. When we learn to see, Jesus, um, see children as Jesus sees them, ministering to them becomes a priority. This view is best. You guys agree with that? You guys understand different viewpoints on how people look? And uh, the more and more I was thinking about this, you know, I could see this in different churches and throughout North Carolina and even here and, and everywhere. So even in my own life, I, like, I strap him to the chair too and put him in front of the TV and watch a video. Okay. This is a clip from one of the Nest videos that we watched over the summer during third service. This is Daniel. So this is one of the last videos we were watching during third service. We did these videos to give Miss Barbara a break. So we did maybe eight weeks, nine weeks, and went through most of the heroes of the Old Testament. And uh, when I saw this, I started crying in the back. The kids didn't see me. because so I thought, well, what if my kids were taken away from me like that forcefully, you know, when they're 13 or 14 years old, and taken off to some foreign land I never got to see them again? You know, hopefully, you know, they had enough spiritual training and a love for God that when they got to wherever they were getting, you know, they would still stand strong for God. How easy would it have been for Daniel just to sit down at the table and say, ooh, this is awesome, great, we're not going to be slaves. You know, they're not going to beat us, we get to be future wise men, we get to be rich and have all these things given to us. I mean, that's the most comfortable situation, and yet he excelled in it because he had a great love for God, right? No matter what his circumstances would have been, whether it's lion's den, um, the fiery furnace with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel's one of the few people in the Bible where there's nothing bad to say about him his whole life. He never compromised, even when they threatened him with, you know, don't pray anymore. He could have went secretly and prayed, but he still did it out in the open. I mean, he was hardcore. And all the commentaries I was reading says that he was taken anywhere from 13 to 15 years old, you know, junior high, high school, not junior high, sorry. <laughs> you know, freshman, junior, freshman, uh, sophomore. How do we get our kids to this point to where no matter what happens, they're going to follow God all the days of their life. And that's where I want to get my boys. That's where I want to get everybody here at church, Christians worldwide. And I hope all you guys want your kids to be like that. Because, I mean, they might not get taken away by some foreign army and dragged off and made future wise men, but they are going to go off to college. Right? And right now, I think the statistics say that 80% of born-again Christian kids that go off to college, by the time they come back Christmas break, they've already, they're done with Christianity. They're moving on to something new now. Right, because they never owned it or whatever. So and that's just a semester, and Daniel stayed true his whole life. So, Deuteronomy six, five through nine: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, this is Deuteronomy. Moses is giving them a review just before they go into the promised land of all the things he's been teaching them for the last 40 years. Okay, it's like the second giving of the law. So, and this is one of the key things here. This is one of the key passages on parenting that they use a lot. Let's break it down a little bit. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. You know, we're not going to be able to teach our kids 
to follow after Christ if we don't have that relationship, right? And kids can smell a fake a mile away. They see hypocrisy, you know, all over the place. So, you know, I hope none of us are do as I say, not as I do kind of parents, okay? That's not true. Um, We need to have that relationship with the Lord before we can generally teach to our children. If we have a deep love for God and teach our children to have a deep love for God, then no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are, they'll choose to do what's right because they love God. It's not just about head knowledge. You know, they have to have that own personal relationship. I mean, they constantly, constantly be talking about it. Like he says right here, you shall teach them diligently. I, I used to read past that word all the time real fast, diligently, and I started looking it up. Characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. Painstaking. You know, all the time. That's so he gets into this next part. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, or drive by the way, however you want to translate that. When you lie down and when you rise up. So all the time. I think it's all the time. It didn't say when you're jump roping or, you know, skydiving. So we need to always be talking about the Lord and looking for opportunities to share the Lord with our children. How many of you guys went through the Shepherding a Child's Heart DVD series? His whole main point was it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You know, we can teach them and discipline them to sit down and, you know, be good in public. But when they're off by themselves, are they being good? You know, that's, that's the heart issue. That's what we have to get to. So when they take them to Babylon or college or wherever, they're going to be seeking the Lord and not just being good because you're around. Okay, here at RBC, we want the children to have a biblical worldview. And I was looking around at uh, some different sites. And George Barna, you guys familiar with George Barna Research Group? Um, he, uh, his um, definition of a biblical worldview were um, absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles that it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or do good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. That's kind of vague, but still, that's pretty good, right? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty decent biblical worldview right there. If you had that, you're, you know... You're on the right track. So now let's look at the statistics on that. Okay, what percentage of Americans have a biblical worldview? What would you guys guess? This is not born-again Christians. This is just Americans all in general, coast to coast. Seventy? Seven. Nine percent have a biblical worldview where they meet all those criteria. Okay? Now, what percentage of born-again Christian adults have a biblical worldview? And when Barna says... Born-again Christians, it's defined as people who have um, a relationship with Jesus. It's important. Well, their, their relationship with Jesus is important to them. They've confessed their sins and are trusting in Jesus, you know, to get to heaven. If we were in Operation Good News and we knocked on someone's door and they said, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus and I've confessed my sins and I'm counting on Jesus to be my Savior, right? We'd say, oh, good job, you know. All right, see you later, brother. You know, we'd walk off and we would take that as a, a good sign. So... This is people who claim that. 19% have a biblical worldview where they meet all those criteria. Okay? So there's a huge disconnect there. Let's break it down a little more. What percentage of born-again adults believe in absolute moral truth? 90? Uh, 20%? 9? 46%. That's like a G. Yes, less than half of them believe that there's absolute moral truth. So we can definitely see that uh, relativism and all these other things are creeping into the church. No one wants to believe that you know sin is sin and lying is lying and all these other things. 
what percentage of born-again adults believe that the Bible is accurate in all the principles that it teaches? Say 40% of born-again Christians? Well, we got a C-plus on that one. Okay? So, but even then, 79% of them, you know, trust the Bible completely of born-again Christians. What percentage of born-again adults are convinced that Satan is real? Forty percent of born-again Christians believe that Satan is real. I, I couldn't believe that. I mean, it gets worse. Hold on. But, uh, I mean, he's so good at deceiving people that he deceived 60% of born-again adults in America that he doesn't exist or he's not real. He's just symbolic. He's the boogeyman or something we use to scare our kids or something. But he's totally real, right? We know that from reading our Bible that he's totally real. Maybe that's the, what is it, 81% that they don't believe the devil parts in there or something. I don't know. Okay, what percentage believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? That's kind of key to the Christian faith there. You know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 62% believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. So that's, that's horrible. That's a D. Okay, what percentage say that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today? And we, that's our best one right there. 93%. We believe all that, but then we don't believe the Word of God is true. We don't believe that Satan is, you know, for real. We only believe that 62% believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, right? So I hope they're not teaching this to their kids, you know, as part of that diligently painstaking. I guess they're not because their kids are like that. And then here we go, right here. Less than one half of 1% of 19, 18 to 23-year-olds have a biblical worldview. That's not just Christian. I mean, that's all Americans right there. Who in here is 18 to 23? So, 99.5% do not have a biblical worldview. That's crazy. So, I mean, that's a generation lost right there, right? They use that term a lot at the Commander's College. We've lost one generation, and we can't afford to lose another. Okay? We are teaching your children a biblical worldview here at church. Okay, we, we really want that instilled in them. So no matter where they go, they have the right mindset and they can deal with whatever situation they have, right? Um, children desiring God curriculum is now being taught through all age levels, 9.30 service, Sunday school hour. Okay, that's awesome curriculum. It's from John Piper's church. It's God-centered curriculum. Gene, you like the new curriculum? All right. So it's great stuff. I mean, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles and stickers and, you know, glitter, but uh, it's awesome. And by the time we hand them off to Shane, they have a, an awesome foundation. It's even going down to the nursery here pretty soon. So Awana starts up this week. And Awana's uh, is our Wednesday night club for kids, which is huge on scripture memory, um, book time, or games, and uh, large group setting, which is great. And Awana's mission in prayer is that uh, our kids will come to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ all the days of their life. That's their whole mission. It's been around for 50 years. I think it's in 110 countries now. It's an awesome program, and ours has totally gotten revamped, and, and uh, it's going to be awesome this year. So that's our number one outreach, to get the kids into church from the outside. Okay. We also want our kids to have a, a worldwide understanding of Christianity and missions. Okay. Um, we want them to know that there's unreached people groups out there, but they're not the only ones you know, that have Jesus. There's millions and millions and millions of people out there. What's the statistics? How many people have not heard the name of Jesus? Yep. And how many are translated? 6,000? Almost 6,000. 4,000 languages to go. There's a lot of people out there that have not heard the name of Jesus yet. 
Okay, we want them to understand missions. We want them to know uh, why do we have missionaries and what do they do and all the different kinds of missionaries. Some missionaries are here on the States, you know, diligently translating languages to get them out in the field. Some are out in the field giving it to them. Some are out there translating this. Some are, you know, there's all kinds of different missionaries. And then we want to get them, when they understand that, that there's millions of people that don't know the Lord, that there's lots of people out there trying to fix that, and then what can they can do to help? Okay, so they're mission-minded. So if there, there ever was a call and said, hey, North Korea's open now, we can go in there, you know, we'd have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen kids say, I'll go. I've been training my whole life for something like this. And they'd, you know, have no problem with going. Okay, we want our children to know how Christians live in other countries. You know, we don't all drive big cars and have air-conditioned churches, and it's really cool to see different videos from different churches, and their churches like four hours long, you know, and they praise the Lord for two hours, and they have all these crazy Bible studies, and they go out in the community that day, I mean, churches all day, or some people, how they walk three or four miles with a bowl of rice to bring to the potluck for church that day, so we're working on that, letting all these kids know, and our church here at Rancho Baptist Church is known in the valley for our supportive missionaries. I talk to lots of people at the Bible College, and every time I say Rancho Baptist Church, they say, oh, that church is awesome. They help missionaries out all the time. So, that's a good reputation there. Here's our prayer request for the parents in the children's ministry in closing. Pray that all of us parents would take our walks with the Lord seriously. You know, we have to firmly establish the Lord in our hearts and sanctify Him in our hearts before we can teach to our kids. So I pray that our relationship would just continue to grow, that we would diligently be looking for opportunities to share the Lord. You know, like, like you said in Deuteronomy, we're always... When we walk, when we sit, when we lay down, when we rise up. That the Lord would continue to raise up more workers to serve in children's ministry. We can always use more people that are, that are dedicated to that. And that all children would learn to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. So that no matter what happens, they're going to cling to the Lord in the future. Right? So, I'm all done. We on, Dave? Cool. Hey, let me uh, take transition here in uh, junior high and high school. First off, I want to say thank you guys for. Remember those prayer slips we did this past February? You guys remember it? Some of you guys are like, no, I didn't pick one up. Yeah, you don't like to pray. Um, no, for those, some of you guys who like to pray, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we did prayer slips for junior high and high school students, and uh, I want to say thank you. Uh, there's power in prayer, and we want our kids to be bathed in prayer. And uh, so we've been seeing just. It, it, not even just the outward effects of, 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 of kids just, oh, they're doing supernatural things or just, <laughs> they're trusting the Lord and their relationship with the Lord is growing more and more. So I want to say thank you for those. Maybe a reminder too this morning to keep on praying for those kids. Uh, for if you, some of those, if you guys have a junior high, high school student. But let me pray this morning and uh, we're going to get into some rocking stuff that I feel like God's been put on my heart and uh, for us this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for just the power that, that you possess. That uh, Lord, when we are weak, you are the strongest. Uh, Lord, that uh, when, we don't want to boast in anything of ourselves, Lord, that we have to offer. We want to boast in you, the cross, uh, your, res- your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord. Uh, that's where the power is. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We pray that you'd sanctify us as a church, Lord. Make us uh, holy, blameless, Lord, before this, this world that is, uh, man, just corrupt and evil, where we want to stand out and uh, share the love of Jesus Christ and uh, see sinners turn from sin and, and uh, turn to you in forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Uh, first off, I want to give you guys, i got to give some credit to uh, C.J. Mahaney, if you guys have ever heard of him. He wrote this book called Worldliness, and uh, that's what we're going to be teaching on a little bit this morning. Worldliness, um, a book that's been just challenging and convicting my heart so much, uh, especially when I think of junior high and high school students and serving them and, and, uh, and just encouraging them to live their life for the Lord. Uh, there's something that is affecting our church all of us as Christians, it affects our families, uh, our friendships, our personal holiness, and our relationship with God. And, and, and it's a disease. It's a disease. Uh, that's, uh, it's our love affair with the things of the world. Uh, we have a love affair with the things of this world. Uh, I don't know if you guys would like to admit that this morning, uh, but we do. We call it worldliness, and we are, the Bible says, adulteresses in this world. We think we can have a good relationship with God and at the same time, mess around with the world. That's where our world's at. The Christian, I'm talking about the Christian church in the U.S. We're, we're mainly to, to blame of that. We, we say, yeah, we want God. We want this abundant relationship with Jesus Christ. And then on the, other side, on the other side, we say, yeah, we can still mess around with the world. We can still do the things the world does and, and still have this abundant relationship with God. And my answer to that this morning, and I hope you are on board, is no can't do that. Uh, we read in James 4.4. 4. Oh, bummer. It didn't turn to yellow. That purple says adulteresses. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Uh, and it goes on and says, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And, and this morning, I want to just share with you guys the title of, of just a sermonette, the small message this morning that I have to offer you is, is this verse in your Bible. A lot of us as Christians tend to clip and cut our own little Bible, make it personal for ourselves and make ourselves feel good about us and that we're drawing close to the Lord, but we leave key verses out that we like to skip over, like to cut out and because they're too challenging. They're too convicting. God couldn't possibly mean that. Don't we have to be a part of the world a little bit just so that we can kind of fit in a little bit and say, come on, come over to Jesus' side. I'm fitting in a little bit with the world. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? As I read God's Word, He says, no. Sanctify yourself, be set apart, be holy, and allow them to see Jesus lived out in you in such a way that they'll go, you are so different from what the world is, I want what you have. Does that make sense this morning? Huge. Hunched over his desk, penknife in hand, Thomas Jefferson sliced carefully at the pages of Holy Scripture, taking out selected passages and pasting them together to create a Bible more to his liking. It's called the Jefferson Bible. A book he could feel more comfortable with. What didn't make it into the Jefferson Bible is anything that conflicted with his personal worldview. Hell? Ah, it can't be. The supernatural, not even worth considering. God's wrath against sin? Uh, I don't think so. The very words of God regarded as leftover scraps. And some of you, maybe this morning, are like, no. No, he didn't do that. Yes, he did. And for some of you guys who know Thomas Jefferson, there's a Jefferson Bible that's out there that uh, takes, things, takes things out of context, uh, takes verses out that he didn't want in there. But if we are honest with ourselves, we too have to admit that we have a Bible of our own making. Maybe some of us this morning, 
We, we, we cut and, and do the paste job just the same as Thomas Jefferson did. We cut out verses. We skim over the ones. Maybe you're like me. Growing up, even some now, going to Bible books and books of the Bible I'll read over and over and over. Maybe the small epistles from, uh, from Paul. You're like, oh, these are encouraging books. They're, 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 they're not convincing. They're less challenging. And they make me feel good inside. And maybe some of you guys like to go there first. Because why? It makes me feel good and comfortable. I'm, I'm guilty of this very thing. But is this verse in your Bible? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's nothing subtle about this verse, is there? Very straight to the point. First um, John 2.15 isn't a verse we tend to underline when we come across it in our daily Bible reading. We're not inclined to put do not love the world on an index card and put it in our cars, maybe put it on our mirror at home. Uh, we don't want to rehearse it daily during our daily commute. We tend to put stickers on our car that more, more look like this, right? Not of this world. We tend to wear shoes. Not of this world. I love the JC. They even got bling blinging now, right? You could have a belt buckle. I'm NOTW. Watch me. And we even got the bling. And then we got, of course, on our cars, and I don't want to tear apart this too much. Some of you guys are like, hey, you're, you're infringing on my personal space. You're convicting me of my... No, I'm not necessarily putting this thing down, but I'm saying if this is what you're putting on your clothes and stickers on your cars, then are you living like it? Jesus said He was not of this world. Are you? And I'm convicted of this this morning as we go blue. It's awesome. Are we truly longing to be not of this world? Are we hypocritical as we have these stickers up on our cars as we're cutting someone off? I'm not of this world. See you later. Bye. But my challenge for us this morning is, are we longing? Are we truly not of this world? As we read, if, if this verse is in our Bible and we look at it, are we just clipping it out? Ah, that's, that's hitting our hearts a little too strong. Before we know it, we have a Bible like Jefferson's, don't we? where verses like these are not to be found. Why do we try to create a Bible exclusive of this command? Maybe, maybe for all its simplicity, we're not exactly sure what it means. Uh, what is the author John getting at here? What does it mean for a Christian? What does it mean for me not to love the world? Does it mean I can't watch MTV or go to an R-rated movie? Do I have to give up my favorite TV shows? Is it okay to watch a movie as long as I fast forward the sex scene? How much violence or language is too much? Are certain styles of music more worldly than others? Is rap or hardcore music that I'm loading onto my iPod okay? How do I know if I'm spending too much time playing games or watching YouTube clips online? Can a Christian try to make lots of money, own a second home, drive a nice car, and enjoy the luxuries of a modern life? Am I worldly if I read fashion magazines and wear trendy clothes? Do I have to be out of style in order to be godly? How short is too short? How low is too low? How do I know if I'm guilty of the sin of worldliness? You may have questions like these, like I do. But maybe if you're honest, you don't really want the answers. You'll say it out loud because why? It's a good thing to say. But when it comes to yourself, you'll say, Oof, I don't know if I really want the answers to those, Lord. What will you require of me to change? 
Maybe as I'm reading these questions this morning, you worry that the aim of this sermon is to impose legalistic restrictions uh, and enforce unrealistic rules. You're like, oh, what's he doing? The uh, ideas of resisting the seduction of a fallen world sound something out of an Amish handbook, maybe. You're like, do we have to not use electricity and just use candles now? Or, you know, is that something that we're going to? Besides, you wonder, how can we evangelize the world if we don't relate to it? Or perhaps you consider these matters to be private. You think this, don't tell me how to run my life and my relationship with God, Shane. No one has the right to question or intrude on your personal space. Your personal standards are sacred. You know how much of the world you can tolerate without becoming intoxicated. And no one else can tell you when you've had too much. But we need to realize that this is God's Word. It comes straight from a loving Heavenly Father to you and to me. And it demands our urgent attention because this is where our world's going and we see it a lot here in the U.S. For if we ignore this verse, we are not merely guilty of presuming to manufacture our own Bibles, which some of us could be guilty of doing, but also being seduced by a fallen world. And this threat is not confined to any specific people. It's for us as pastors, um, families, uh, elders, it doesn't matter who you are. When it comes to worldliness, we're all at risk. And I want you guys to know that this morning, we're all at risk. This isn't something that, oh, I'm exempt. Uh, I've, I've gone through my teachers, so I'm exempt of worldliness. Uh, don't lie. Don't believe me? Let me introduce you to someone in the Bible. His name's Demas. Let me meet Demas. Let me introduce you to him. Let's meet Demas. Demas, if there was a guy you'd have a hard time labeling as worldly, uh, this, this would be the guy. Or so it seems. Demas. As a close friend and traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, Demas participated in spreading the gospel, strengthening the church throughout the Roman Empire. He left home and family to hit the long, dusty road and, with, and to follow Paul. He stood by Paul, likely at great personal risk. When the Apostle Paul landed in prison for the first time, he even stood by him. And then we read of him sending greeting to the church in Colossae and the, and the Christian Philemon. And here, we, here he would appear to be a model Christian. You're like, wow, yeah, Demas, awesome, model Christian guy. A guy you would all admire, admire, respect, and emulate. And yet, Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy and, and, and forms his epitaph. He says this, For Demas... Having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What a tragedy, Tragedy, right? A life wasted. A testimony ruined. The gospel maligned. I don't know for sure if Demas was a, was a follower of Christ. I, I would assume so, following Paul. But look at Judas, you know, following Jesus all those years. And where was he? But we know that Demas did not finish strong, don't we? As, as far, uh, and we know that this could happen to any of us. Uh, uh, we all know a Demas in our lives. Don't you? You guys can... Everyone this morning, I bet you could say, yes, I know a Demas in my life. A person, maybe someone who burned so bright for the Lord for a while, when then suddenly faced, faded from fellowship. He, fell into, he or she fell into serious sin, leaving all the, all the world to wonder what happened. What happened to this guy? 
So often we're ignorant of the signs and symptoms of worldliness. People can be attending church, singing the songs, apparently listening to the sermons. Are you listening? They can be doing all those things no different on the outside than they've always been. No different on the outside. But inside that person is drifting. He sits in church but is not excited to be there. She sings songs without affection. He listens to preaching without conviction. She hears but does not apply. This brings up an epidemic that Nathan brought up in his sermon of high school and college age students leaving the church after they graduate or even even years before they graduate, they're already starting to check out even in their seats. They're coming to church faithfully. They're sitting here and they're going... In, outside, they're doing all the things that we think they should be doing. Inside, they're decaying and they're saying, I'm over this. And we've seen this happen here at our own church. People who can fool anybody on the outside and do whatever it takes to be a Christian on the outside, but inside they could care or they couldn't care less. They couldn't care less. Kids are looking at the world and buying into the lies that the world has more to offer them instead of the abundant life that Jesus Christ has to offer. And I'm not just going to say kids as youth, but adults are doing it as well. We're looking at the world and we're like, oh man, I want that. Oh wait, I want that abundant life of Jesus and you can't have both. You cannot have both. You cannot. It's crazy. Maybe they are still living on the coattails of their parents. I think of kids living still on the coattails of their parents' faith. Maybe on their youth pastor's faith. Or maybe they see cultural convenient Christianity and see people living hypocritical walks with, with the Lord. Or maybe they see it at home. I don't know what it is. But I know they're not seeing genuine Christianity because if they did, they would continue to follow Jesus Christ. And it brings me up a point here for you guys as our church here, and I'm going to be challenging second and third service as well. You need to be modeling a genuine, real Christian relationship. Not only for one another as on peer levels of fellowship here at church, but for our kids growing up, for our youth growing in their faith, you need to model that. Like Nathan said, they could smell a fake and a hypocrite a mile away. I bet you they can know when Nathan and I are, weren't, weren't as prepared for maybe a talk or something on a Sunday morning. Ah, you again. Right? They know when we're scrambling. They know what's going on. They can sniff it a mile away. We as a church need to be pouring into their lives, of our, pouring into the lives of our youth and teaching them what, what that genuine, real relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Are we perfect? No, we're not. But we are. But are we living out a real relationship with Christ? They, they want to see real. We know we're not going to be perfect, but kids want to see real. Are they going to see you living out a real relationship with Jesus Christ? They know, they know we're not going to be perfect, and when we try to be perfect, they, can, they, see, they see hypocrisy there. Whatever it may be, I'm going to go back to James uh, 4, 4 here real quick. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God's Word is bringing a word picture here that we can clearly see today. Think of a marriage. Maybe you guys are married this morning. Maybe not. And where one of the spouses goes and commits adultery. 
Let's just break it down. James 4.4 4 is telling us right here. You are adulteresses. If you go off and you, do, you, you make yourself a friendship of the world, you're, adult, you're committing adultery against God. And, and to think of a marriage, and then how can he or she that go off and commit adultery say that they love their wife or husband when they are in bed with another man or woman? How can they be over here committing adultery in bed with another man or woman or maybe flirting with another man or woman at work say they love God? No, 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 but I love God so much. But what are you doing over here committing adultery with the world? You guys see the word picture there James is bringing out? It's crazy. Crazy. And then we read 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. And I want to read the second part. Well, even more so for you. I'll read it for you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we love the world, we are not loving our Heavenly Father. Pretty basic and straight to the point. Can you imagine saying things like this? I'll take it another step further if you allow me to. I love telling people about Jesus. I love smoking pot. Same person, right? Right? I love telling people about Jesus. I love telling people dirty jokes. Is it becoming clear more? Worldliness here? I love looking at God's beauty and creation and worshiping Him. I love looking at pornography and lusting. Are we seeing the the disconnect? World? Adultery? Okay, good. I love helping the poor and giving to the needy. I love making money and indulging in everything I want. I love serving others. I love serving myself. Are you seeing the disconnect? But worldliness has crept in, hasn't it? And sadly, it's crept into our church. The universal church. Churches all around. Even ours. A love for the world begins in the soul. It's subtle and not always immediately obvious to others. I can fake it real well on the outside. And it's often undetected by the people who are slowly succumbing to its lives. Sin does not grieve you like it once did. Passion for the Savior begins to cool. Affections grow dim. Excitement lessens for participating in the local church. Eagerness to evangelize. Uh, That's not going to happen. Growth in godliness slows to a crawl. So are you drifting and slowly becoming seduced by a fallen world? Maybe this morning I want you guys to ask yourself a question. Lord, in what ways am I falling into the seduction of a fallen world? Are there ways in my life right now that worldliness is creeping in so much so that I'm trying to have this relationship with you but at the same time fit in or relate to the world in some way? Ask yourself that question. If you're honest with you, maybe God will, if you're willing to let God convict and by His Holy Spirit bring those things to light, we'll talk about how we can overcome this. Oh, it's not serious, you say. I've just been through a busy season. Life's busy right now. Maybe my relationship with God isn't on fire as it once was. But, you know, when the time comes, I'll get back into the church. I'll, I'll start doing Christian things again. It's not that serious right now, some of you guys may say. I'll get back on track soon. 
Maybe this describes some of you. Was there a time where you were passionate for God? What about now? I'm going to share a couple quotes. Um, one from an author uh, I saw in, in this book we were reading. It says, Even people still adhere to prohibitions against premarital, extramarital, and homosexual relations. But even here, the attitude toward those prohibitions has notice, noticeably softened. Many of the distinctions separating Christian conduct from worldly conduct have been challenged, if not altogether undermined. Even the words worldly and worldliness have, within a generation, lost most of their traditional meaning. Have we gotten soft on worldliness, allowing the things of this world to creep in? And sometimes we don't even know it. Oh, that Christian's doing it. It means I can. Well, what does God's Word say? Oh, I don't know, but look at them. I'm better than them. And we like to compare ourselves to others. Worldliness has crept in. Maybe we've, we've become soft on this. Today, the greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. I'm going to repeat that again. The greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. Unlike so many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who live in countries with oppressive regimes, where the church is flourishing, by the way, we in America don't face imminent threat to our families, livelihoods, and well-being for professing our faith in Christ. Do we? Uh, do you? Do we? I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't faced that yet. Yet, by the way. We've let down our guard against worldliness, and as a love for the things of this world has infiltrated the church, it has watered down and weakened our, weak, our witness. It threatens to silence our call for repentance and faith in the Savior. As, as you guys want to play the game, as we want to play the game, to you want to relate better to the world and maybe be seduced by the fallen world, but also live for Jesus, your witness for Christ is going to be weakened. And our message to the world to repent and return to faith to our, to our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to be lessened. People should walk through this church from the world and go, they're just like me, shouldn't they? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. They should walk in here and go, I don't know, there's something different about the walls of this church, not the physical ones. When they walk in, they experience a holy, righteous God who shines His holy light on their hearts and says, you are a sinner. You're a sinner. You're living in sin. And then they should see a bunch of sinners who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then they should see us go up to them and go, wow, let me tell you about this amazing message of Jesus Christ. He saved me out of that pitiful fallen world and I want to tell you what He has done in my life. And man, His grace is amazing. But they should see a difference, shouldn't they? They should not walk into our church and say, why would I want anything to do with them other than being bored and sitting down on these nice cushiony seats and singing weird songs? I don't know. They're, you're not doing much different than me. I've heard that often from this generation in this world today. You're not much different than me. All you do is just go to church and attend Bible studies during the week. If anything, i got more free time than you. Right? I don't have to wake up early and go to church. 
Praise the Lord for that. They might want to even say praise the Lord. There needs to be a difference. Charles Spurgeon says this even 150 years ago, but I think it's very relevant to where we're at today. He says this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And he goes on to say this as well, Put your finger on any prosperous page in the church's history and I will find a little marginal note reading thus, In this age, men could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. Never were there good times when the church and the world were joined in marriage with one another. The more the church is distinct from the world in her acts and in her maxims, the more true is her testimony from Christ and the more potent is her witness against sin. The more we are joined together with the world and the lines blur, I agree with Spurgeon here. Man, we're not going to see people come to Christ as much. Sin isn't going to be, you know, we're not going to talk about sin. A lot of churches do this today. They don't mention sin. They don't mention hell. They don't mention Satan. Maybe that's why they're getting the whole bad vibe of Satan really being a true being. Right? This guy doesn't even talk about it anymore. He can't be real. Pastors. Teaching that. Crud. But check this out. The more true is her testimony, the more true is the church's testimony from Christ, and the more potent more powerful is her witness against sin. Worldliness has crept in. The greater our difference from the world, the more true our testimony for Christ. But sadly today, maybe if you're like me, and the reason why I wanted to teach this message this morning is because maybe there hasn't, there's not much difference. But I want to encourage and challenge you this morning that there has to be a difference. The lines cannot be blurred between the world and what the church believes to follow Christ, to not be lovers of this world. Fly through this. I want to share some more scripture with you this morning. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, that word there it says, unstained by the world. James 1.27 Are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? Or, does the, or do people come in and look at our church and they go, ah, oh, worldliness is all around. Look at all the effects of the world on, the, on this church. They're just like me. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and accepting and perfect will of God. Awesome. Let me share with you guys quickly an antidote for of worldliness, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I share, just share with you an antidote? You guys, I don't want to pour this on you this morning and then go, well, Shane, what should I do? Well, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Only through the cross of Christ can we successfully resist the seduction of the fallen world. The Savior's death on the cross is what makes possible forgiveness of sin and provides power to overcome sin. 
And the cross is the attraction that draws our hearts away from the empty and deadly pleasures of worldliness. Do you see that? The attraction, the cross, is the attraction that draws our hearts away. It says, I don't need that empty junk. I don't have to be a part of it to relate to the world. I don't have to to be soft in a way that I say, oh, yeah, I'll go do that just so my friends know that I'm a Christian, but I can fit in with them. I can, I can, you know, go a little close, and but then I'll be able to tell them about Jesus. Your witness for Christ will let, be less that way. If you want to begin immediately to weaken the influence of, your, of worldliness in your life, take the sound advice from John Owen. I'm just going to read this. When someone sets his affections upon the cross and the love of Christ, he crucifies the world as a dead an undesirable thing. The baits of sin lose their attraction and disappear. He says this, Fill your affections with the cross of Christ and you will find no room for sin. You will find no room for sin. Draw near to, to Christ and the cross and fill your affections with, with that. And he says that will push out all the junk and any affection that you'll want for the things of this world. You want to learn how to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ? Have your affections be totally set on the cross of Christ. Maybe some of you guys this morning, I pray that God's convicting you. He did me this whole week. God, where in my life, I ask this week, am I, am I leaving the door open for worldliness and sin and things of this world to creep in? What am I being soft to? Like I said, I'm not necessarily teaching these things to be legalistic, but more importantly, actually to draw closer in our relationship with God. Because God, if you're living sin and you're soft towards sin, and there's some sin reigning in your hearts right now that you have not confessed and given over to the Lord, your relationship with God is broken. There's a wedge in that relationship, and you need to repent and turn from that and turn to the cross of Christ. For forgiveness in the time of need, and turn from worldliness... Paul says this, More than that, I can all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Is that your heart this morning? Counting things all lost for the cross of Christ? May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6.14 Draw near to the cross of Christ. And I'm going to end on this verse before we pray. Going to go into offering this morning. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, as assuming a lot of you guys have, you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're, you're forgiven of sin. Now you have this abundant life with Christ. He says this, Paul, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are you at when it comes to worldliness? Has worldliness crept in? You're like, Shane, I thought you were going to teach on like high school students. um, This is where high school students are at. They're living in this world where worldliness is being pressed on them every single day. And as the world is being pressed on them every single day, are they turning to the things of this world? Or are they turning to the cross of Christ? And that's why I wanted to bring to us, to our church this morning, uh, 
we need to be living this out, living this abundant life. Let me pray. I'm going to pray for our offering as well. If you don't mind, Tom, is that cool? Pray for our offering as well. And uh, we're going to end our morning in one last song here and then uh, have our offering right there. Lord, we, we love you. Thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you just for all that you're doing, Lord. I, I pray that you would take your word this morning, come and move and work and stir our hearts up to show us those ways in, in our lives that we are giving over to worldliness, Lord. Maybe some, some ways that this disease of, uh, of, of the seduced, maybe we're being seduced by a fallen world, Lord, and we don't even know it. Father, I pray that you would shine your light on the sin, maybe, that's in our hearts right now, that we can just come and confess it to you, turn from our sin. Father, I thank you so much for this church that longs to glorify you, longs to please you in leadership and, and just our church as a whole. Lord, continue to do your work here. I pray that when people walk in our church that they would not see us trying to relate to, their, to the world outside, to the culture that is dying and that is evil. Lord, but that they would see you, your son Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that they would see the abundant life that Christ has to offer them and that they would turn from their sin, repent, Lord, and, and follow you all the days of their life, Lord. Come and work in our church, Lord. We love you. Thank you for this morning. May you just bless this offering, Lord. May it go toward your work, toward what you're already doing here at our church. Lord, thank you so much for just your faithfulness to provide in, in every way. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. Our mission here at Rancho Baptist Church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and who live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions at all regarding this particular broadcast or this sermon, or if you just want to know God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to contact us. You can call us here at the church at area code 951-676-2911. That phone number again is 951-676-2911. Or you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's ranchobaptistchurch.org. Trust that you have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you walk with Him.